Are you ready to jingle your bells? Let's do this. Stroke my, lick my, suck my. It's the first time for you. Oh my god. Oh my god. Oh my god. <laughs> History happened everywhere. My name is Father Peatmus, and I'm here in the HHE studio with the baster to my Christmas turkey. It's Rudolf Weir. The baster to your turkey. I thought you'd take my dry content and you'd enliven it with your juicy goodness. Well, yep, let's uh, wait and see how this episode goes. Well, Ryan, of course, it's Christmas. A Merry Christmas to you, sir. Merry Christmas, Peter. Now, Ryan, Podvent is over. 24 days of fun and facts, and we're into the main event. Now, the Dursleiter gave us jingle bells in Turkey during 1400 to 1600, did it not? That's exactly right. So this is it. The final day has arrived. Ryan, what have you got for us today? I'm excited to hear it. It is Christmas time, Peter. What's Christmas without Turkey? So on today's episode, I have got lashings of turkey facts for you to gobble up. Yum! We are going to meet the 15th century artisan whose tiny dingling broke the ice. We're going to hear why Jingle Bells is a rip-off, and whether we like it or not, we're going to learn a lot about turkey semen. Deck the halls with bows of jolly. <laughs> Welcome to Christmas. Welcome to Turkey. Jingle, jingle, bellerine, kurban Well, Ryan, inevitably you had me at turkey semen. I'm obviously intrigued as to how this is going to feature large in our episode. But uh, first of all, I'm not sure where we are. I know we had a little intro in the Podvent episode, but where are we exactly? Help me out here. Okay, you want to be oriented to turkey, do you? I do. Turkey is a large bird in the genus Meliagris. Originally from the forests of North America, you're going to recognise the turkey thanks to its round, plump body, its distinctive gobbly call, and that fleshy wattle thing that hangs down from its beak like a pair of wrinkly testicles. Right, Ryan, I think there may have been a mix-up somewhere. <laughs> what, what do you mean? The place is turkey, Ryan. Yeah. And you seem to have started out on turkey, the creature. Right. Well, that's what we've got, Pete. Well, uh, so I'm going to orient you to turkey. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> so famous for being the traditional dish at a Thanksgiving or Christmas meal, an estimated 46 million turkeys are killed every year in America alone, which, if you place them all together, that would occupy an area approximately 460,000 square kilometres, which is about 70% the size of France. Right. So how many turkeys to a France? Um, Maths. They are considered to be highly intelligent people with playful personalities. Turkeys have three times better eyesight than humans, and they have been clocked flying up to 55 miles an hour. Well, now, you have just shattered a Christmas argument we had whilst playing a game recently. <laughs> they don't have a religion. Their favourite dish is grains and insects, and they are not the national animal of any country. How do you know they they don't have a religion? They could be worshipping the great wattle in the sky. <laughs> yeah, you're right. OK, we don't know if they have a religion. <laughs> <laughs> Their favourite dish is grains and insects, and they are not the national animal of any country, despite former US President Benjamin Franklin calling them a respectable bird and a bird of courage, a true original native of America. Apparently he didn't like bald eagles. He said that they were, like, shifty. Couldn't be trusted. I believe the Cantonese word for turkey is fire chicken. Right. <laughs> uh, now, there is no official flag with a turkey on it, and there isn't yet a national anthem for turkeys. But if there was to be one, I'd love to see it be Turkey in the Straw. It's an American folk song that dates back to the early 19th century, and it sounds a little something like this. So I was going down the road Tired team and a heavy load I cracked my whip and the leader's sprung The old mare broke the wagon tongue Turkey in a hay pile, turkey in a straw Turkey in a hay pile, turkey in a straw Rake him up, shake him up, anyway tall Turkey in a haystack, turkey in a straw Now, Pete 
the uh, composer of this song is lost to time, but uh, supposedly it originates from another earlier song, which was apparently popular in the raging barn dance scene of the early 1800s. Oh, you go to the big barn dance the weekend, well, I wouldn't miss it. Pick him up, shake him up anywhere, tall, turkey in a haystack, turkey in a straw. A lot of Americans might recognise Turkey and the Straw because it is commonly heard, even today, through the speakers of ice cream trucks. It's one of the songs they play to sort of get kids to come and buy ice cream. Is that because originally they were turkey trucks selling turkey legs in gravy and then they realised ice cream would be much more popular? Frozen turkey legs. Well, I come to a river and I couldn't get across And I paid five dollars for an old blind horse He wouldn't go ahead and he wouldn't stand still He went up and down like an old sawmill Turkey in a hay pile, turkey in a straw Turkey in a hay pile, turkey in a straw Rig him up, shake him up, and he went tall Turkey in a haystack, turkey in a straw Anyway, there you go. That is Turkey in the Straw. <laughs> a fine anthem. Put it on the list. <laughs> turkey facts! Of course. You lay them on me, buddy. Turkey poop is shaped based on its gender. Oh, really? Yeah. So if you want to find out if a turkey is a male or a female, apparently you just check out their droppings. Because a male turkey's poop is shaped like the letter J, and the female's poop is spiral-shaped. Well, that's good to know. I'll bear that in mind next time I'm asked to sex turkeys. <laughs> well, you'd be surprised because there is a big industry in turkey testicles. Is there now? What do they use as marbles? <laughs> well, no. So, first of all, there is interest in turkey sperm. We're all interested in turkey sperm, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's Christmas after all. <laughs> so, yeah, so turkey sperm has been sent to the International Space Station. Quite right, too. Those aliens are going to be like, oh, thank goodness. A jar of turkey sperm. Exactly what we were expecting. <laughs> we'll gobble it up. No. Oh, dear. Uh, it w- <laughs> You've gone too far, right? I was trying to make a pun. I, I take it back. So anyway, yes, it was for a research project looking at the effects of microgravity on sperm and fertility in general. I don't quite know why turkey sperm was so important, but that was what they took. Uh, but yes, talking of turkey sperm, it doesn't end there, Pete. <laughs> well, good. I hope we turn. Come back to this subject. I can't get enough of this turkey sperm business. <laughs> yeah, so Chicago in America has a turkey testicle festival. Of course it does. Right? What do I they mean... do in this festival? <laughs> Is it like conkers only with turkey testicles? No. So the key events at the festival are the deep fried turkey testicle eating competition. Yum. Yeah. Uh, the guy who won uh, last, he ate 58. Oh, my Lord. I couldn't eat 58 mini cheddars or something. <laughs> that sounds awful. Yeah. And the Gobbler Wobble, uh, which is a race where everybody runs with a turkey testicle on your face. Couldn't you just sort of squint and wear it like a monocle and then run full tilt? <laughs> <laughs> Put one up your nostril. Yeah, there's holds ways. it in place, right? Ways and means. I bet there are rules. Yeah. Well, that's the thing, right? Actually, you can't stick it up your nostril because turkey testicles are bigger than you think, Pete. How big do you think a turkey testicle is? I haven't given it as much thought as you might imagine, Ryan, in my life so far. Shall I give you options? I, I thought they were about the size of a marble or a horse chestnut. Uh, it's it's not the size of a marble. It's slightly larger than that. It's about the size of a large olive. Okay. Well, how big is a large olive? <laughs> I'm not sure I'm getting this Slightly bigger system. than a medium-sized olive. Oh, okay. Fine. That clears it up perfectly. Definitely Thank bigger you. than a small olive. Right. Obviously, yeah. much bigger. Uh, also, uh, turkey testicles, not just popular in America, also popular in Taiwan, where turkey testicle pizza is apparently a delicacy. Is it now? I'm going to stick to pepperoni. Thank you very much. Next time I'm over there. Sorry, guys. I've run, I've run 100 yards with one on my face. That's fine. But <laughs> putting it on a pizza, you've gone too far. <laughs> you don't want to gorge yourself on 55 of them. That seems too much. Too much. Okay. It's like mini Kiev's gone mad. <laughs> All right. Well, there you go. That is the orientation and the facts of Turkey. Okay, slight reminder, Ryan, we are supposed to do the country of Turkey. You've gone horribly wrong, but I'm leaning into it. Let's go with it. Let's see what happens next. Right. Okay. Let's find out after this. (laughs) Indeed, let's find out after this. Hey, Pete. Hey, Ryan. I'm thinking about Christmas dinner. Okay. And I was thinking I might cook a turducken. 
A what now? A turducken. It's a chicken cooked inside a duck, which is cooked inside a turkey. That feels duck a lot. Yeah, well, I read that in the past, all the lords and kings, they would have a turducken for Christmas. And I thought if it was good enough for them, it's good enough for us. Right, well, okay, if you want to do that. I do. There's only one thing, though. It was a bit expensive to buy a turkey, a chicken and a duck. So I improvised. Oh, in what way? Well, this Christmas, we're going to have a cat dodge hog. A cat dodge hog? What the heck's that? Well, it's a hedgehog cooked inside a cat, cooked inside... A dog? You got it. Oh, Ryan, tell me you haven't killed a cat, a dog and a hedgehog for our Christmas meal. What? No, of course not. That's horrible. Oh, good. Yeah, they were already dead. Animal Rescue were just chucking them out. Oh, my God. Uh, Don't worry, I gave them a thorough rinse. I mean, they look as good as new. How does that help? I'm not eating cat, dog or hedgehog, Ryan. Oh, well, that's a shame because I suppose you're just going to have to eat the pigs in blankets then. Oh, yeah, great. I'll eat them. Well, I say pigs in blankets. It's more like frogs in handkerchiefs. Oh, Ryan. Yes, Pete. How about instead we just go and eat at a nice restaurant? I thought you'd never ask. So, Ryan, can you tell me the history of the turkey? I can tell you the history of the turkey. I thought you might be able to. (laughs) Is there any chance you can tell me the history of the country of Turkey? No. Okay, moving on. (laughs) On with the birds. So, Pete, a long time ago, the earth was ruled by dinosaurs. Indeed it was. (laughs) Yeah, many of which walked on two legs. (laughs) Are we doing the evolution of the turkey? (laughs) We are, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's the history of the turkey. Okay, yeah, I get it, but it's not so, a turkey yet, so does it count? <laughs> so around 150 million years ago, some of these bipedal dinos, they evolved feathers and a wishbone, and the early bird was born. Did it get the worm? <laughs> yeah, I would imagine so. 85 million years later, an extinction event causes those birds to evolve further. They diversify into a variety of different types of birds, one type being the order of birds called galliforms, which emerged around 40 to 50 million years ago. And they lived in forests, they evolved strong legs and had a robust body, and over time the galliforms evolved into several distinct species, which included the ancestors of chickens, quails, pheasants and turkeys. Doctor Who was a Galliform, wasn't he? <laughs> Gallifreyan, you idiot. <laughs> I'm the idiot. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> now, the oldest records of turkeys are found in North America, with fossils that date back several million years. Sometime over that million years or so, these turkeys then split into two tribes, the larger and heavier wild turkey, or Meliagris galapavo, and the blue-headed oscillated turkey, Meliagris oscillata. Pavo is the Spanish word for turkey. Well, there you go. How about that? Uh, Yeah, so about 10,000 years ago, indigenous peoples in Mesoamerica, they give up hunting the South Mexican wild turkey and they decide, you know, it'd just be much easier if we just domesticated them instead. So they breed them. Uh, They breed them for their meat, but also for their feathers, which uh, they use for their headdresses and ceremonial bits and bobs, you know, staffs and knives and forks and... Go on. Bookmarks. (laughs) Bookmarks. <laughs> bookmarks. <laughs> I need my royal bookmark. <laughs> I think uh, you're thinking of the gift shop at this time. Key rings, yeah. Pencil cases. <laughs> <laughs> so the Spanish arrive, Pete. They, they arrive in the 16th century and they ransack the continent. Yay! Uh, they take home all the spoils with them to Europe, including... The turkey! All the turkeys! They just clean out the turkeys into a bag and take them A lot of turkeys. They took a lot of turkeys. Yeah, and they quickly become very popular across Europe. They're introduced to other parts of the world by other explorers and settlers. And in 1621, in North America, pilgrim settlers are starving and Native Americans see their plight and give them a gift of food and drink and perhaps including turkeys. It's unclear whether or not they actually did include a turkey or not. Let's say they did for now. Yeah, uh, it would have been a good thing if they did because you can feed an entire family with the meat from one bird and so that's why it's sort of become like the centerpiece of thanksgiving and christmas meals since pretty much the beginning of the 19th century they are much much bigger than a chicken aren't they they're enormous yeah and that is why today turkeys are bred on large scale millions of one particular bird the broad-breasted white uh, the most commonly raised turkey bred for slaughter because of its rapid growth and its large size. But, side note, Pete, the breeding 
program for the broad-breasted white has been so aggressive in making the bird as large as it can be for slaughter uh, that they no longer can mate naturally due to their huge body size, which means that... uh, here we go. Talkie <laughs> semen facts. <laughs> I thought he's bringing it back. He is. He's doing it. <laughs> yep. All commercially raised turkeys now rely on artificial insemination. <laughs> <laughs> The turkey industry is a significant part of global agriculture, though, with Brazil, Germany, France, Italy and the United States all contributing towards the production of over 200 million turkeys every year just for the table. That's a lot of turkeys, isn't it? Well, that makes me wonder actually how many chickens there are, because turkey, I would consider the minority poultry. Uh, Yeah, I agree. I mean, there must be billions of chickens, I imagine. Wow, I've done I've done my bit for the for the chicken industry. I don't do much for turkeys. Yeah. Well, look, the economic outlook for Turkey is looking good. There's a 10-year projection showing a continued rise in sales despite the risks that uh, has come from fake meat and diseases such as avian bird flu. People are still buying turkey. Well, that's uh, interesting because I think the lab-grown meat could still loom large in this future. You think so, but a 10-year projection perhaps not. Maybe after that. But there you go. So in summary, it used to be a dinosaur, then a Mexican's headwear. It's been farmed into super turkeys, slaughtered in the billions and served as a traditional meat in a meal to celebrate thankfulness, goodwill and joy. Very good, Ryan. Uh, Fun fact. You want another fun turkey fact? Of course I do. It is also the name of a country. Yeah. Yeah, I really Moving didn't, on. <laughs> I really didn't do any history or t- <laughs> like I mean I'm re- I apologize but I really didn't do any history or orientation to to Turkey. Uh, Go back. I did a little bit for the for the pod vent. You did do a bit. So let's move on. And move on to the world of turkeys. I really don't know what's coming next Ryan. So let's see what happens after this. Merry Christmas everyone. <laughs> hey, Tikter. It's your wingman, Terry. Back with an inside scoop on staying off the holiday menu. (laughs) This is the insane way I've avoided getting eaten each Christmas. (laughs) And I'm gonna show you the three crazy ways to outsmart the oven. Ready to ruffle some feathers. Let's go! First, it's time to get creative. Grab those bushes, snatch up some leaves, and weave them into your feathers. You're a walking, talking plant cost when you look like part of the garden. No one thinks you're a meal. <laughs> Second, tech is your friend. I got you, homie. Download the app from xmassurvivor.com. It's got kitchen alerts. What? Escape routes. And even a gobble translator to confuse any human on your tail. It's like having a personal bodyguard in your pocket. <laughs> and third, the secret weapon, decoys. Grab a cardboard box, cut out a turkey shape, and place it where the humans expect to find you. Genius! While they're scratching their heads. You're waddling away. (laughs) Dodging the dinner never got easier. For more details on these steps, check the description below. And if you've got your own survival tips, drop them in the comments. Shout out to xmassurvivor.com, helping us stay safe, stay sneaky, and stay around to next year. So, Ryan, I don't know how to begin this section because I don't know what the hecking heck you've done. Okay. Your topic was Jingle Bells. Your country was Turkey. So if you've remembered Jingle Bells, then good on you. What have you got, Jingle Bell-wise? I've got Jingle Bells. Nice. All right. So, turkeys. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like you're indulging in a fetish at this point. (laughs) I got obsessed with turkeys. What do you want from me? Uh, sorry, audience, but this one might not be for you. <laughs> this one's for us. <laughs> it gets better. Hang in there. I'll pull it out of the bag, out the out the sack. All right. So we all know the song "Jingle Bells." A jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Yeah, that one. All right. It's perhaps the best known and most commonly sung Christmas song in the world. It is your go-to when de- when someone demands a Christmas song, you're not going straight to the little drummer boy, I No, definitely not. The lyrics describe the experience of riding in a one-horse open sleigh and the sound of sleigh bells as it glides over the snow. 
Which we're all so familiar with. That so familiar. It's it's classic. I mean, classic often I'm sound. in a two-horse open sleigh, so I find it difficult to relate, but I try and imagine <laughs> what it might be like with one fewer yeah, horse. Yeah. Well, look, it's a light-hearted story of the winter season. It was originally written, though, not for Christmas, but for Thanksgiving. It's actually a Thanksgiving song. Bet you didn't know that. I didn't know that, which really narrows down to where this might have originated, to places which are snowy in, when is it, November? November's Thanksgiving, isn't it? Uh, yeah, I believe so. Oh, yeah, actually, that's still quite a lot of places. Yes, composed in 1850 by James Lord Pierpont, it was a means to cheer up his local Sunday school meetup. Hands up who's sick of the Bible! Me! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, and he called the song... What do you think he called it? He called it Sleigh Ride in November. Oh, very close. The One Horse Open Sleigh. Oh. That was its original name. Yeah, which is a nod, in fact, to the town's annual sleigh race, which he had attended. And it had given him the uh, inspiration for, one, the song name, but also the song itself, because uh, a lot of modern-day researchers have pointed out that there are similarities between his song and a number of other earlier popular tunes. In fact, one researcher said, in quotes, everything about the song is churned out and copied from other people and lines from other songs. There is nothing original about it at all. Well, I like it, so... Suck on and that, you, critic. And yeah, <laughs> where are all those other songs? Exactly. It's. Yeah. I go. I come back to it. It is impossible to be unhappy whilst singing Jingle Bells. Yeah. So look. Regardless, Jingle Bells or the One Horse Open Sleigh became something of a local hit. You know, in the Sunday school scene. <laughs> <laughs> Famous Sunday school circuit. <laughs> yeah. And by 1957, it had caught the attention of professional artists with one Johnny. Pell, a blackface minstrel performer, bringing it first to the people of Boston under the title of... I think it's, uh, I got the sleigh bell blues. No, it's Jingle Bells, semicolon, or comma, the one horse open sleigh. It's left his options open there. Yeah. <laughs> no, whatever you want. Wait, wait, you like this? You like it's, this? It's one of the two. <laughs> uh, so yeah, two years later, in 1889, a banjo player named Will Lyle, he records his version of the song and he releases it in December, unwittingly making Jingle Bells the very first Christmas record ever released. Aha. Now, sadly, Pete, I'd like to play that for you, but that version has been lost to time. Boo. Yeah, boo indeed. But the next recorded version, an 1898 recording, has survived. Huzzah! It was issued on an Edison brown wax cylinder titled number 2218 Sleigh Ride Party, and it sounds a little something like this. Oh, yeah, that's easily recognisable. I thought it was going to be some corrupted version. This this bit's different. (laughs) I feel like they're trying to get it over with. Oh, jingle bell, jingle bell, jingle all the way. Yeah, so there you go. That is quite remarkable. But distinctive, right? I mean, that's very similar to the song. Yeah, yeah. It was definitely the sort of... The verses were definitely the same. The chorus was felt a little flatter to my ear. Well, that could just be the wax. Maybe it's melted slightly. Could be, because it's been a long time, hasn't it? Yeah. Anyway, these recordings, Pete, they brought the song a lot of success. But it was only when it became a popular parlour and college song for drunks to sing, basically, that it made it into the fabric of society. Eventually, it became like the de facto song that you would sing in December. And when eventually it was released, it sold millions of copies in various different versions, being used in commercials, movies and TV shows, and also in Turkish. I've listened to this. That didn't sound like it was in Turkish at all, Ryan. When I, when I said in Turkish, what I meant was it's in Turkey. 
Right, of course, because we're struggling to distinguish between the bird and the country, as we've already established. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It did sound like somebody somewhere was definitely obtaining some turkey semen in that recording. <laughs> I do have a Turkish version of it, though. Do you want to hear that as well? I'm scared, but I'm willing to risk it. <laughs> that was I was Turkish. I'll give you that. Uh, I think that's probably my favourite version. I've got to say. Now, Jingle Bells was also the first song to be broadcast from space. That is an odd choice. Well, it wasn't a choice, funnily enough. It was a Christmas-themed prank by astronauts on Gemini 6, Tom Stafford and Wally Shearer. They uh, smuggled a harmonica and jingle bells aboard the spaceship. <laughs> and then when they were in space and they were on their way back down, they played the song to the world on December 16th, 1965. I tell you what, I love it when astronauts play pranks because it's like these guys are super smart, super intelligent, doing a super serious job. They still yeah. take time out to do something entertaining. I salute you, astronauts. Yeah. Just don't ask where he smuggled a harmonica. It's not prison. I don't think they frisk you before they go up. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, um, so yes, it's also inspired parody songs. Things like Jingle Bells, Batman Smells. Robin laid an egg. Yeah. When did that first appear? 1959. 1960s, yeah. Early 60s. Yeah. Uh, Also inspired other hit songs. Songs like Jingle Bell Rock. Written in 1957 by Beale and Booth, it was a song that didn't really do very well on release, but it became an instant classic, Pete, after being featured where? On a movie. Which movie? Uh, That Christmas one that everyone enjoys. Yeah, definitely a Christmas movie. The Christmas in the White House. Christmas, Aliens at Christmas. Christmas on the lawn. That's right. Aliens at Christmas on the lawn. (laughs) No, it was Home Alone. Oh, really? I've never seen Home Alone. Buzz, I'm going through all your private stuff. You better come out and pound me. If you could see me, I've put my hands on my cheeks and I'm doing that screamy face. I know, I've I've probably seen most of it in clip form in various times, but I've never actually watched the whole movie. I think you're put off by the fact there's lots of violence in it, isn't it? The thought of being hit in the face with a can of paint horrifies me. Is it the thought of being left home alone? No, I love that. Oh, right. Uh, yeah, so, you know, that is Jingle Bells, the uh, origin of the topic of this episode. But what are Jingle Bells really? Well, as I said earlier, Jingle Bells in the song refer to sleigh bells, small metal hollow bells that have a small pea-sized pellet inside that makes a high-pitched tinkling sound when shaken. Now, they're most commonly associated with Christmas, but long before sleighs and jingles, bells similar to this were being used as a simple percussion instrument. In fact, jingle bells, as we know them today, aren't actually called jingle bells, or indeed sleigh bells. Do you know what the official name is? It's, um, horse riding noisemakers. Some people think it's rumbler bells or pellet bells, but the actual official name is crotal bells. That's much worse than any of the alternatives provided. <laughs> yes. Come and shake my crotal bells. <laughs> yeah, no more I think. Don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah, imagine that song. Crotal, crotal bells, crotal, crotal bells, bells, croting all the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and crotal bells have been around for thousands of years, uh, which is good for us because we are going to be looking at the period of 1400 to 1600, which saw the rise of the Ottoman Empire. In and around Turkey. He's only landed it. He's stuck the landing, people. (laughs) So there you go. Well, the question is, were there any crotal bells in Turkey during this time? And to find that out, you're going to have to listen to this. So your festiveness in summary, the naughty list is down, workshop productivity is up, presents are wrapped, the sleigh has been serviced, and we're flagging green for launch. Well, I must say that is most excellent work. Congratulations, everyone. Now, there was one final item on the agenda, your jolliness. Oh, and what might that be? Well, we've been working on the issue of bird strikes. Ah, yes, the old goose to the face problem. Exactly, and we have a few proposed solutions that we'd like to run up the candy cane and see if they fly. Very well. What do you have in mind? 
Well, first of all, the design elves analyse the problem and advise that we should install a proximity sensor, some sort of scanning mechanism that can search the night sky and identify incoming avians. Most sensible. Then I can simply adjust our path and avoid any further strikes with our feathered friends. Well, yes, that is an option. However, we thought it might be more sensible to have the bird avoid you. We simply alert it to your presence. But what have the presents got to do with it? Oh, no, your tubbiness. Not the gifts, sir. Your presence, as in your whereabouts. Ho, ho, ho! Just a little festive joke. Ah, oh, very good, sir. Uh, now, we need a decision on the warning alarm. Option one is a collection of crotal bells. All right, let's hear it. Oh, ho, ho. well, that is a very lovely sound. Oh, but if I'm travelling at 500 miles an hour, I wonder if a bird is going to hear such tiny jingling in time to avoid it. Oh, yeah, very good, your Christmasness. So perhaps option two will be more to your liking. Certainly that would be more effective. However, I'd rather not be attracting anti-aircraft fire if at all possible. A goose to the face is better than a missile to the mush after all. Ho, ho, ho! Oh, quite, sir. So uh, perhaps option three. Well, no, that's just confusing for everyone. Well, that just leaves option four. I think you'll like it. That's perfect. Excellent. Thank you, your puddingness. Uh, we'll get the car horn noise installed straight away. Wonderful news. Ho, ho, we should celebrate. Well, actually, your baubleness, I anticipated you might want to recognise the occasion, and so I had the choir elves knock up a new festive song all about it. How marvellous. Gentlemen, a one, a two, a one, two, three, four. Car horn noise, car horn noise, car horn all the way. Christmas! Okay, Peter, here we go. The Christmas dinner, the main course, meat and veg. All right, now I'm ready. I've got my knife and fork. I'm ready to consume. Okay, good. Right, so this is the, this is a story that I'm going to tell you, okay? It's based on truth. <laughs> right, so it's not true is what it's not true. <laughs> is Santa real? Well, obviously Santa is real. Well, then so is my story. Is as real as Santa. Yeah. Gotcha. Welcome to the story of Ahmet the Crotal Bellmaker. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe I haven't heard this story before, but carry on. <laughs> this is supposed to be an earnest story, Pete. <laughs> Give it some respect. Okay, part one, Master and Apprentice. The year is 1475, and the Ottoman Empire, it's doubled its size since Sultan Mehmed II captured Constantinople in May of 1453, just 22 years earlier. Now, Mehmed the Conqueror, as he's now known, has ushered in an era of unprecedented prosperity. And the Ottomans' dominion now covers vast swathes of the Mediterranean, southeastern Europe, and parts of the Middle East. Now, in the empire's pulsating capital, Pete, Istanbul, life thrives under the golden dome of the Hagia Sophia. The Blue Mosque. I've been there. It's very nice. Oh, nice. So the city's streets then were a vibrant mosaic of languages and cultures, a testament to the empire's vast reach. Yet our tale, Pete, unfolds not in the bustling metropolis of Istanbul, but a hundred miles south in the shadow of the Uludag Mountains. Here we find Bursa, an ancient city cradled by history and nature. It's also a vital node 
on the Silk Road. Of course it is. A node on the road. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and uh, its beating heartbeat is the Koza Han, a uh, sprawling bazaar echoing sort of with the din of merchants bartering spices and silks and a myriad of exotic goods. Gentlemen, I want spices and stuff. I've got spices here. They're quite cheap. No? All right. Lady, you over there. Do you want got, got spices? Who wants spices? Uh, oh, this is, I, I should have been a lawyer. Mum was right. I should have gone to university. <laughs> should have studied. Right. Now, leading to this vibrant marketplace, as you've just beautifully brought to life, <laughs> are a bunch of narrow alleys. They're lined with shops and stalls showcasing an array of handcrafted treasures. Among these, a modest workshop known to only a discerning few as the sanctum of the empire's most esteemed bellmaker, Farid al-Din. And for clarity, this is a made-up person for the purposes of the story. Correct. Okay, good. Just uh, keeping the people oriented. But the town is real. For sure. Everything else right. is real. I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm just trying to keep people on track so they don't end up <sighs> believing things to be true. Hey, look, it's Christmas. You can believe what you want. That is true. Now, Farid, now in his twilight years, is a maestro of his craft. Decades of relentless innovation and experimentation with bells. He's refined his skills and it's enabled him to create bells renowned for their crystal clear tones, their robust volume, their harmonious musicality and their intricate harmonics. And the ease with which you can nail them onto a stick to shake them. (laughs) (laughs) Now, these were not just mere instruments, Pete. No! These were revered art pieces. His His creations ranged from exquisite collections of handbells, each singing with its own signature tune, to the majestic Turkish crescents. Is that a croissant? It sounds like it, doesn't it? Imagine an upside-down croissant stuck to a two and a half metre long stick but with bells on it oh bells hanging off the crescent yeah like imagine a broomstick yeah with like a a crescent hanging underneath it oh a crescent hanging underneath it well not underneath it at the top of it with bells on that yeah and then you can shake your stick I shake the whole thing yeah that doesn't feel like a massive innovation, to be honest. That's just bells on a stick, right? <laughs> I thought for a minute you'd say, and you can, if you can, well, you flick, can if you flick want. each bell in turn and create a beautiful melody. Not you could. You've got bells on a stick, and you shake the stick, and the bells go bell. <laughs> hey, look! If you've got a problem with it, you need to speak to the Ottoman military because they are ordering these things in bulk. I now need to know why. They love the Turkish Crescent. It's, you know, like uh, back in the day, military, they would go with musical instruments, drums and bagpipes and with the Turkish Crescent. Anyway, it was super popular and it became later known as the Turkish Jingle. The Turkish Jingle. Yeah. Or the Jingling Johnny. Right, I'll be honest, that is not going to strike fear into the hearts of my enemies. Bring out the Jingling Johnny. <laughs> everyone's laughing on the other side, sire. <laughs> Yeah. But anyway, they become symbols of the Empire's might and musical heritage. Now, perhaps his crowning achievement, though, Pete, was the bell that swung in the city's tallest tower. Its regular chimes, a familiar and comforting presence to both citizens and travellers alike. Which is in the tower in the town or the tower in Istanbul? In Bursa, where he's living. Oh, in Bursa. Okay, gotcha. Gotcha. Right, now, Farid's reputation as a bellmaker had not only brought him substantial wealth, but had also made his workshop a beacon for connoisseurs of fine craftsmanship. Specifically bell craftsmanship. Bell craftsmanship, (laughs) yeah. Do you like bells? Not really. Well, you have come to the wrong place, my friend. (laughs) Yet, for Farid, wealth was but a shadow to his passion for making bells. His quest for the perfect bell, one that would encapsulate the essence of sound itself, that, that never waned. Now, as age crept up upon him, his diminishing strength and agility meant that Farid recognized the need to pass his legacy on to an apprentice, one who could continue the art of bell-making and unravel its deepest mysteries. A bellboy, you might say. Oh, how come that never occurred to me? <laughs> Enter Ahmed, a young man with a keen intellect and steady hands, chosen by Farid for reasons known only to him. <laughs> it sounds dodgy now that it I read it out. It does really sound dodgy. <laughs> 
There was an unusual interview process. Uh, most of the boys left crying. <laughs> was it? It's supposed to be earnest. Ah, well, you didn't need to add grooming into it. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> I didn't. You read into that. <laughs> right. Anyway, perhaps in Ahmed, Farid saw a reflection of his younger self. <laughs> this, no, maybe. Makes it, maybe he I'm did. digging. This is making it worse. <laughs> a soul captivated by the alchemy of metals. <laughs> all right. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> All right, come on. Perhaps in Ahmed, Farid saw a reflection of his younger self. <laughs> a soul captivated by the alchemy of metals and the science of sound. <laughs> a craftsman who sought not just to make bells, but to perfect them. <laughs> I don't want to just make bells, but we make bells. That's what we do. But I want to perfect bells. Oh, you had me in the first half. I'm not going to lie. Uh, this all sounded so much better. In my brain. <laughs> it turns out you've created a story of great dubiosity. <laughs> right, anyway, look. <laughs> Under Farid's tutelage, Ahmed embarks on an arduous journey into the heart of bell making. <laughs> I don't know why that sounds wrong, but it sounds wrong, Ryan. Keep going. <laughs> right. <laughs> he delved deep into metallurgy, mastering the delicate balance of copper and tin. <laughs> Stop. I'm going to break. This is not good. All right, everyone, take a break. We're going to come back. <laughs> I've got to get, I'm going to pull it together. Come on. All right, bring it. Come on, man. Don't make me slap you. All right, come on. Come on, tell me about his metallurgies. (laughs) 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 I know what's coming up. Tell me more of Ahmed, Ryan. Stop it! That's making it worse! (laughs) Right. He delved deep into metallurgy. He mastered the delicate balance of copper and tin to forge the ideal bronze alloy. This meticulous process was crucial as it determined the bell's durability and, most importantly, its tone, its pitch and its resonance. Ahmed's apprenticeship was a tapestry of trials and revelations. He quickly grasped the nuances of heating and cooling, understanding that the perfect melting of metals and the art of slow cooling were pivotal in preventing imperfections and enhancing the bell's sound quality and longevity. Farid imparted his wisdom on how a bell's physical attributes... She must have a broad hip and a thin waist. <laughs> its shape, size, and <laughs> thickness. <laughs> Two C's. <laughs> oh, that I... bell is thick, bro. <laughs> what have I written? Anyway, Ahmed learned that even the slightest alteration in design could yield vastly different sound waves. <laughs> Through relentless experimentation, Ahmed's skill flourished, and his bells began to sing with a clarity so profound that it was rumoured whirling dervishes sought him out for their mystic visions. I've got to say, this is a lot of effort to create the instrument that you get given because you can't play any instruments when you're in (laughs) primary school. Yeah, (laughs) it's very true. But then, Pete, sadly... Oh, no. The day came when Farid, Ahmed's mentor and guide, passed away. And in his grief, Ahmed cast a small lead figurine of Farid, a talisman which he wore around his neck in homage to the master who had illuminated his path in the art of bell-making. He was my bell-father, in a way. Part two, the bells toll for thee. Oh, Christ. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> You've overcooked this so much. I love it. Right. In the wake of his master's passing, Ahmed not only continued the legacy of their esteemed bell-making workshop, but elevated it to new heights. His workshop burgeoned into the premier destination for a diverse clientele, seeking out the finest bells, each group drawn by unique needs and beliefs. Nobles and merchants, they adorned their caravans with Ahmed's bells, their clear, melodious tones heralding their approach like the enchanting chimes of an ice cream truck today. <laughs> <laughs> That's a callback. I saw that. That was good. I was, I was weirdly impressed by it, even though it yeah. was dreadful. <laughs> now, these bells, believed to ward off malevolent spirits, were a staple for travellers in these sort of superstitious times. The Greek Orthodox, the Armenian Apostolic, and other Eastern Christian communities, they sought out Ahmed's bells for their churches, their sonorous peals calling the faithful to prayer in a resonant embrace. Government officials, intrigued by Ahmed's renown, they commissioned his bells as diplomatic gifts, not just as gifts, but as ambassadors of sound, weaving bonds with their captivating tones. Have you been captured by the bell marketing board? <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying Big to do bell. an earnest Christmas story. Big Bell has you in its pocket, be honest. <laughs> Who commissioned this story? I'm going to publish this story. You wait and see. Right. Where do we get to? Yeah. So even the formidable <laughs> Ottoman navy placed a substantial order, envisioning a fleet unified by the sound of Ahmet's bells, signalling through the mist and the waves. Yet, amidst all this flourishing trade, Ahmed found his time for innovation dwindling, the soul of his craft as taught by his master ebbing away. So, resolute, he made a bold decision. He was going to decline any new orders, and he was going to focus instead on creating a bell. The one bell that would not only be a masterpiece, but a heartfelt tribute to his beloved mentor. <laughs> what? Nothing, carry on. <laughs> However, inspiration proved elusive. Day after day, Ahmed toiled, experimenting with various alloys and shapes and decorations, yet nothing seemed worthy of his master's memory. His breakthrough came unexpectedly during a stroll through the bustling bazaar. Amidst the cacophony, a distinct, enchanting jingle caught his attention. It was a caravan, completing its arduous journey from distant China, having traversed scorching deserts and formidable mountains, past legendary cities like Samarkand and Ashgar along the Silk Road. Now, each camel was adorned with strings of small bells, their chimes uniquely soothing yet unmistakable. These bells, shaped like tiger heads, captivated Ahmed with their detailed design and their expressive features. Eagerly, Ahmed approached the weary merchant, learning that these bells were heirlooms from generations past and more than just mere ornaments. In Chinese culture, the tiger symbolized power, courage, and strength. These motifs, the merchant believed, protected him from desert spirits and thieves, their tinkling a safeguard through perilous journeys. I would argue that a bell attached to your stuff that then sounded out across the Silk Road was sort of an invitation to a thief that there was lots of good stuff there. It would draw attention to you, wouldn't it? <laughs> I don't think it was keeping people away at all. I think they've really mixed that up. They probably got, may have kept the spirits away, I don't know. Maybe this Chinese merchant was trying to just sell his bells. <laughs> if only someone would come along and buy some from me. But who's that interested in bells, I ask myself. <laughs> now, intrigued and inspired, Ahmed purchases one of these tiger head crotal bells. Back in his workshop, he studies it intently, marvelling at the dense alloy clapper that produced such clear, resonant tones. And he sets to work. He's determined to create an alloy that would not just emulate, but surpass the Chinese bell. Now, despite meticulous experiments with casting techniques, metallurgy texts, uh, consultations with fellow artisans, and even journeys to distant quarries for superior raw materials, success remained just out of reach. His creations, though beautiful, fell short of this tigerhead bell's clarity and precision. Frustration mounted, culminating in a moment of despair where Ahmet, in a fit of frustration, tore off his talisman 
and holding the small lead figurine in his hand, a spark of inspiration ignited within him. He rushed to the furnace, his resolve renewed, and with reverence Ahmed placed the lead figurine into the molten bronze, watching as it dissolved into the fiery liquid. This new leaded bronze was poured into a mold, forming a clapper that he then set inside a newly crafted crotal. <laughs> <laughs> that, that word is not helping you, mate, I've got to tell you. <laughs> Holding his breath, he shook the bell. The sound was transcendent, surpassing even the ancient Chinese bell in tone and resonance. Ahmed crafted five more quickly, each etched with intricate designs, a fusion of his heritage and the inspiration drawn from afar. As he danced around his workshop, the bells jingling in harmony, Ahmed felt a profound connection to his master. His new creation was not just a tribute, it was a symphony of legacy, innovation and cross-cultural artistry transcending even Farid's most exquisite works. End of part two. <laughs> well, I can't wait to see what happens in part three because this is hot bell action, my friend. Right, Ryan, we returned. We have crafted a new bell of unbelievable transcendent beauty. What could happen next? Tell me. Part three, an ice problem to have. Oh, <laughs> that was the best you could come up with, was it? <laughs> Didn't have run out of time? Was that the problem? <laughs> a little bit. A little bit, yeah. Okay, so in the wake of Ahmed's breakthrough in creating the small crotal bells, one might have expected a deluge of orders. Might one, though, or maybe this was mostly for the <laughs> bell enthusiast. <laughs> the ethereal beauty of their tones alone seemed destined to draw traders from far and wide. Again, did it, though? <laughs> Clamouring to acquire these auditory marvels. Auditory, all right, yeah, we definitely need to have a word with marketing. Yet his ingenious innovation barely stirred the consciousness of the bustling markets, Pete. Can you yeah, believe it? I, I, he's there going, yeah, listen to this now. Yes, nice. What? <laughs> <laughs> but listen to the tones! I already have a bell. I don't need more bells. Thank you. Now, that didn't mean he didn't sell any. A handful of Ahmet's new bells found their way to the ankles of street performers, their unique jingles adding a magical touch to their lively performance. Some mothers, enchanted by the soothing chimes, hung a few of the bells above their infants' cradles, and occasionally the distinctive sound marked the passage of high-ranking officials, their steeds adorned with these exquisite creations as they navigated the city's teeming streets. But these were a modest success. But his crotal bells languished in relative obscurity. Oh, my crotals are languishing. <laughs> <laughs> the anticipated surge in demand failed to materialise, and his workshop remained quiet, a repository of unsold crotals. <laughs> <laughs> Who will buy my wonderful crotals? <laughs> Perhaps I should think of a new name for them. <laughs> yes, and Ahmed's frustration grew as he watched these new creations, imbued with such craftsmanship and beauty, just gathering dust. The marketplace, usually a hub of bustling activity and diverse interests, seemed indifferent to the unique allure of his bells. This must have been how the creator of the Betamax video must have felt. Exactly. And to make things worse, it was during this period of professional stagnation that Ahmed and the entire Ottoman Empire found themselves in the grip of near-total disaster. Because between the 14th and 19th centuries, much of the Northern Hemisphere underwent an intense period of cold weather that today is known as, or referred to as, the Little Ice Age. Changes in the global climate meant that winters in Turkey, which were once brief and manageable, suddenly stretched into these prolonged ordeals of snow and ice and stormy seas. And this resulted in a very different way of life for those in the continents that were used to warmth from the sun, with communities being isolated and trade routes turned into these impassable trails. 
In the Anatolian highlands, in the Ottomans faced the brunt of the relentless cold. Harvests wouldn't grow. Poverty reached levels that thousands of villagers died from starvation. Trade routes were disrupted, and military campaigns hindered as traders and soldiers struggled to walk through frozen mountain passes. In Istanbul and in Bursa, the heart of the empire, the effects were just as palpable. Blanketed under a white shroud of ice, the streets of both cities, once alive with the sounds of commerce and chatter, now echo with the crunch of snow and the muffled conversations of cloaked figures braving the cold. Even the mighty Bosporus River Pete, an essential waterway for the Empire's citizens, it froze over entirely, no with way. ice several feet thick. That is a big-ass river, I can attest. Simply put, this was an event that seeped into the very bones of the Empire, changing the rhythm of daily life for hundreds of years as people tried to adapt. And one of the ways that the Ottomans adapted was by embracing the customs of their neighbours from Russia and the Baltic regions. Customs like using horse-drawn sleighs and sleds, which were designed to effortlessly move goods and people long distances over snow-covered landscapes. Which brings us back to Ahmed, because with numerous sleds sliding around silently on Istanbul's snow-laden streets, he envisioned a new purpose for his crotal bells. <laughs> Reimagining them as sleigh bells, they were no longer just instruments for music and good luck charms, but they served a more crucial function. They provided a clear and resonant sound that would announce the sleigh's approach, ensuring safety for the sleigh's driver and any passing pedestrians. And so he set to work, engraving his new crotal bells with winter patterns and cast from alloys that would allow the bells to ring with clarity despite being in freezing temperatures. He's rebranded, good lad. And it worked, Pete, because word of Ahmet's crotal bells spread like wildfire. Orders began pouring in from every corner of the Ottoman Empire. From the frozen banks of the Danube to the snow-capped peaks of Mesopotamia, Ahmet's sleigh bells became the quintessential sound of Ottoman winters, a symbol of resilience in the face of unyielding cold and a ubiquitous part of Ottoman culture. Sing it with me. Oh, crotal bells, crotal bells, croting all the way. <laughs> in fact, Ahmet's workshop struggled to meet demand, and by the time that Ahmet died, his foundries in Bursa had produced over 50,000 crotal bells. But his legacy doesn't stop there, Pete, because as Ahmet's bells spread across the empire, other artisans were inspired to pick up his mantle and recreate his technique. Local metalsmiths blended Ahmet's designs with their own unique variations, like those found in the courts of India's Mughal rulers, where bells similar to Ahmet's found homes next to rosewater fountains and in the music rooms of nobles, where artists incorporated the chimes into beautiful compositions. And today, some of the bells still survive in museums and collections around the world, showcases of the pinnacle of Ottoman craftsmanship. Their voices still ring with the memory of Farid, Ahmed and the ancient Far East. Every rhythmic jingle vibrating the air with the essence of joy. And the bells were ringing out for Ottomans. So there you go, Pete. That is the story of Ahmet the Crotal Bellmaker. Well, I enjoyed that thoroughly, Ryan. Uh, not necessarily in the way you intended it to be enjoyed, but nevertheless, I had a blooming good time. Let the bells ring out in celebration of your story. Ding dong, ding dong. Oh. Right. <laughs> What's that song? Uh, I can't and remember. the bells are ringing out for Christmas Day. Oh, that, that one's one. the that's the that one. Yeah, that's the old uh, fairy tale of New York, isn't it? Oh yeah. So Ryan, I thoroughly enjoyed that. That was belling brilliant. It rang clear and resonant through the episode, and I had a lovely time in the company of Ahmed and Farid. I developed a new appreciation for the bell, and I didn't realise that Turkey was plunged into a kind of cold period. That was news to me. Yeah, pretty cool, right? I mean, we I often think of London having the frozen Thames fairs and things, but uh, apparently it happened in Turkey too. All right. Well, today I learned, and that is the purpose of this podcast. Merry Christmas. That's my gift to you. Ah, I gratefully received it. Thank you for your jingling bell. All right. Remember... 
We got exactly one minute while the guard is on break to sneak in, grab as many as we can, and sneak out again. All right. And remember, they're worth a fortune, so everyone counts. Righto. Okay, the guard's going off duty. You ready? I'm ready. All right. Go, go, go! Can't help it! They're so noisy! Hi! We've been rumbled! Get out of here! Run! Come back with those crotals! Run! Okay, Peter. Well, look, there you go. Whilst it is Christmas, uh, the eyes of the audience are swivelling in their turkey-filled faces. Now they've got a... T- oh, now you've got visions of a face with the turkeys in the eye sockets. That's horrible. <laughs> but it is time to wheel out the regular does later for your next episode, which will be next year in 2024. So let's wheel it out. Okay, and switch it on. I'm ready, Ryan. Buff it up. Give me something good for the new year. Start us off on the right foot. Okay, and your place is Bahrain. Bahrain. Yeah, uh, okay, and your time period is? It's World War II, 1939 to 1945. All right, okay, well, that's doable, probably. Yeah, this all sounds good so far. Definitely stuff going on, wasn't there? There's no denying it. All about the topic. You ready for the topic? Not really. (laughs) And your topic is... Latin. Latin? So it's Latin in Bahrain during World War II. That's gone badly wrong at the end there, hasn't it? (laughs) I tell you what, I will allow it if you do the entire episode in Latin. Actually, I'm not going to reject that. That may be a card I need later, so I'll just thank you for the opportunity. Lorem ipsum est. Yeah. All right, good luck, Pete. Thank you. Okay, so that is our show for this week. Thank you, as ever, for listening. And, of course, if you want to get in touch about the things we've talked about, come to us through our website, hhepodcast.com, or email Pete and Ryan at hhepodcast.com. That's right. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. And you never know, you might end up featured on a future show. And if you're on Mastodon, Instagram, Facebook, or X, you can find us at hhepodcast. That's right. And if you subscribe to those, you're going to get an alert every time we post any trivia tidbits, news, and photos. And we'll be back soon with the end of the year quiz, our traditional roundup wherein Ryan and I have our annual humiliation as to how much of the episodes of that year we can't remember anymore. I don't even remember any of this episode. (laughs) It is always remarkable how little stays with us and embarrassing. So tune in to watch us look bad. Indeed. But until then, a huge thanks to you, Ryan, for that lovely Christmas episode. And a huge Merry Christmas to you, Petey. Merry Christmas to you too, my friend. And that's it. I guess all that's left to say is... Merry Christmas! History happened everywhere. Hey Ryan! Hey Pete! Are you ready for our secret Santa? Am I ever! I can't wait for my person to open their gift, because I'm pretty sure they're going to love it. Right, 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 right. don't say anything, because as you know, it's Secret Santa, which means nobody should know who got what present for who. Yes, exactly. Secret Santa is the best. Yep, it'll be a real mystery. I wonder who got mine. Well, that's the thing, Ryan, you'll never know. Right, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, let's see what we've got. That one there's for you. But how would you... Oh, never mind. Uh, Look, this one is for me. I bet I know what it is. But you couldn't know, could you? Oh, right. Uh, No, I I couldn't know it's headphones. Oh, wow, it's a new pair of headphones. Wow, they look exactly like the make and specification that you wrote out and left on the kitchen counter yesterday. They do, don't they? Oh, that's amazing. Do you like them? Oh, they're perfect. I love them. Well, that's all right. Thank you, you, secret, secret Santa. Oh, yeah, it, it, it was Secret Santa. Definitely whoever the person was that, that did it. Indeed. Right. Well, can I have my present? What? Can I have my Secret Santa present? Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. Here you go. Oh, 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 I can't wait. 
Oh. Oh, what is it? A tangerine or something? Yeah, it it's a it's a tangerine. Oh wow, that is lucky. Is it? Of course. You said only the other day you'd love a tangerine. Did I? Yeah, don't you remember? I was passing the fruit bowl and you said to me, Can you give me a tangerine? I'd love a tangerine. Tangerines are my favourite. Right. And what happened? Well, you walked past and you didn't give me one. Exactly. And now look what's happened. You've got a tangerine. It's a Christmas miracle. Ah, what an amazing and very generous gift. You should say thank you to whoever your secret Santa was. Right. Yeah. Thanks, Secret Santa. It's just, well, we all had £100 to spend on these gifts. Right, right, right. But that's the top end, isn't it? It wasn't a requirement. It's not a minimum. Right. But a tangerine is less than a pound. Well, 45p, actually. Unless you get them, buy one, get one free, of course. But those headphones probably cost like an entire year's savings or something. Yep, and we'll never know which person it was that gave me such a generous gift, will we? After all, it's Secret Santa, not Look at me, I'm Santa. Yeah, I suppose it is. And tragically, that means we'll never know who gave you that rather lovely, healthy and vitamin C rich tangerine either. No, I I guess we won't. Well, that's all the gifts. Secret Santa is over. Happy Christmas, Ryan. Happy Christmas, Pete. Kidding. Here's your real gift. Ah, oh, thanks, Pete. Merry Christmas, pal. Merry Christmas. I need more, more of everything.